The following is a For Vengeance Media production. we love is undergoing a shift. What a beauty! Borders are breaking down. Some might say disappearing. Huge goal! And the freedom to choose is gaining momentum. Through it all, players are better than ever at all levels. From youth hockey to the best junior leagues and the highest level, the game is reaching new heights. Presented by Four Vengeance Media. This is Game Changers, the home of hockey. On Silent Ice TV. Hello there and welcome to another episode of Game Changers. We are not in my home studio. Of course, we are in the beautiful Silent Ice Center, the Hatch Arena, the jewel of the West, where on Tuesday night, the Spruce Grove Saints played host to the Sherwood Park Crusaders. And it was a fantastic night. It was a very good game, hard fought. Spruce Grove coming up just one goal short, losing 3-2. But the entire night was an absolute home run. The crowds loved it. They were packed. The drink rails, the luxury suites, the restaurant all had people loving themselves on the video board, loving themselves in these comfortable seats in this wonderful facility. And yes, AJHL fans treated to royalty tonight at this place. As for the game, the Saints played very well, just couldn't click on the power play to get the go-ahead goal and they fall 3-2 to the Sherwood Park Crusaders. On the show this week, we're gonna chat with former New York Islander draft pick Dustin Cohn. He was a, a second round pick, played 22 games with the Islanders. He's now the head coach of the Titans U-17 team in the JPHL, and we're also going to be chatting with Manny Schmidt from Link Management on the advisor and an agent side of things. So we'll get to those interviews as we roll along, but let's take a look back at some of the action from Silent Ice Center, Hatch Arena, where the Saints took on the Crusaders Tuesday night. Now it'll be an opportunity for the Saints penalty coming up to Sherwood Park. Honeskew hasn't noticed yet as they break in and they score! Teo Pisani with a man all over him, puts it through on the delayed penalty and there's your great start, Wokey. What a nifty move by Pisani. The Saints drew that penalty on the rush coming up the ice in their own zone. McNally sees Pisani and what a move there by Pisani to dip that one through Carter Davis. And then the patience to get around Eric Roos as we have another look at it, but an excellent move to go through the triangle of oh, Davis. Crusaders take over, and here's Davis back at the point. Shot through, tipped, and they score! Uh, the deflection at the side of the net from Hauer, and we are tied at one. Yeah, inability to clear a puck out there. Wyatt Davis ends up finding that puck in the middle of the ice, right on the blue line, has all day to get rid of the shot. To Souch, in they try to move it into the slot area and kicked out by Onescu, another great save by the goaltender and he gets across to the left side to 
make another terrific save and the Saints getting the goaltending they need to get back and take this lead. Good job on the goaltender to be patient. I love that first save with the right pad too. Such a quick shot. And the Crusaders unable to get it out because this forecheck from Spruce Grove is so steady. And now it's in front. Kirkpatrick, the back and scores! Pardon me, Teo Pisani again with the backhand shelf. And oh, wow, what a start for Teo as he has two. Pisani's second multi-goal game of the season and just some excellent work on the forecheck as the Saints do exactly what the Crusaders did to them earlier on in the first period. And what a finish, what a set of mitts here by Pisani. Takes out one in the midsection. Quick little housey going forehand, backhand up over the right pad. Puts it wide, it was deflected. Now they send it out. And the Crusaders, Noah Wills, shorthanded. Bothered there by Dawkins. Penalty coming up, or will it be a penalty shot? It is! The first ever AJHL penalty shot at the Silent Ice Center. Diego Johnson on the showdown over the blue line, coming in on the backhand, and Oneskew makes the stop with the blocker, getting it across, and the goaltender shuts the door again here at Silent Ice Center. Now Oneskew continues to stand tall outside of Pisani. He's been the best player on the ice. Magarel jumps on the rebound, but that was blocked before it could get through. Penalty is over now, and the Crusaders coming in on the attack, and Oneskew stretches out, but they put it in at the side of the net. Ethan Murner taps it in. Not much the goaltender could do about that rebound. Pretty easy one there, and that's just the inability of the power play to take advantage of the opportunity. You allow a team like the Crusaders to stick around and take three penalties in a period and not really create anything out of them. And just an excellent net drive right there. The Crusaders gets it to Davis, back to Ringor over the blue line. And Larkin gets a stick in there, but Ringor kept it going. And there's a shot on net by Davis, and Oneskew reaches out and makes a nice glove save. And now we get a little emotion in front of the net there. The first time we've seen really any of this tonight. Perimeter, good job by the Saints PK to keep them outside. Yeah, the Crusaders getting a little bit closer on the Friesen Brothers shot clock as they score in front. It is Hunter Price and the Crusaders take a 3-2 lead. Set play off the face off there and Price finds himself all alone in front of the net. An excellent job by the Crusaders here. Little D down drive, excellent pass there down the from down the wall by Gangle Price all alone right in front of Oneskew. All right, two seconds to go. Puck is dropped, Dawkins backhands it towards the net. Time runs out and the Crusaders come back as we get some pushing and shoving. McNelly was in a headlock in front of the net, so this one not done yet, even though the buzzer is gone. Yeah, the Saints score early, but unable to hold on here tonight as the Crusaders take it three to two. All right, a fun game here at the Silent Ice Center, Hatch Arena, and the Saints will continue to roll into December. Two games against Brooks this weekend. Brandon Ewan Cheshire will have the call for you on the Saints radio network as they kick off the month of September. And now we will kick off our Junior Life segment with Manny Schmidt uh, from Link Management. 
Manny, it is great to have you on uh, our Game Changers program. So good to see you at the rink uh, on the weekends as uh, that's where we live in the winter time. And I often get this question asked to me about hockey players. And so I thought it would be a perfect opportunity to ask you the difference between an advisor and an agent, because we hear both terms a lot. And I think a lot of people are wondering, what is the difference? Yeah, great question. Dean, and thanks for having me on. You guys are doing a, a phenomenal job with uh, the the podcast and the series. It's uh, uh, some really valuable and uh, entertaining information on it. So uh, glad to be a part of it. Um, yeah, it's probably one of the most common questions that we often get because, um, you know, people refer, hey, are you an advisor? Are you an agent? Really, it comes down to um, the compliance issue relative to the NCAA. Um, on the NCAA side, uh, you can't have an agent per se who is representing and negotiating on your behalf um, contracts, um, which uh, having that impacts your compliance and eligibility at the NCAA level. And so really for the purposes of uh, working with NCAA uh, and collegiate athletes um, or athletes who haven't yet chosen their path one way or the other, um, it gets positioned literally as a uh, as an advisor or family advisor, where you provide direction, um, you provide guidance, um, input. Uh, and the other thing is, is that there's usually a fee for service attached to that on the advisory side, because uh, as a collegiate athlete, you can't, um, you can't uh, get uh, free access or free services that benefit you, but don't benefit other college uh, college students. So that's primarily the difference. It's the same, you know. For example, we have individuals uh, in our agency that you know are work both as advisors and as agents. It's just the lo- logistics behind the scene that have to be done a little bit differently, um, depending upon what what point that athlete is at. Yeah, so depending on which athlete depends on what sort of hat that uh, that that person is wearing and what services I guess uh, they can provide. So you started uh, Link Management in 1995. What was the impetus to launch Link Management Athlete Agency in 2009? Yeah, um, <laughs> great question on that one. I uh, I did a lot of work working with post career athletes. So NHL players, Olympians, uh, et cetera. Um, and what our, my focus was is assisting them to transition from professional sports or high competitive sports into that next phase of life. Um, and in many cases, that would have been, you know, in the professional speaking industry. Um, it would have been into the media side. It might have been into staying inside the game as um, as broadcasters or play-by-play, etc. But what I found, Dean, was that there was a dramatic um, lack of preparedness on the uh, and forethought on behalf of the athletes, where they spent very little time thinking about the fact that the game is going to end. And when we talk to our prospects, one of the things that you know we tell them, you know, we don't give a lot of guarantees, but one guarantee that we absolutely do give is that the game will end at some point. I mean, even if you're Yarmer Yager, at some point, even he, <laughs> the game will end for him. So um, 
I just felt that there had to be and needs to be a better way to work with uh, an athlete on a pre, during and post career basis that in our, you know, our, our philosophical line that we use all the time in our agency is uh, that we're utilizing sport to create success in life, not just to use life to create success in sport. I love it. Uh, and, and I think it's so important that you guys start that early because uh, over the years, and I think it's getting better, but over the years, so many people thought I'm drafted, I've got it made. And that is obviously we know just uh, the very first step. Now, what is the love for the game sports science division? And why did you launch that recently? Yeah, we, uh, I mean, that really is it's to some degree an offshoot of what we just talked about. And, and my objective inside the agency has always been that ultimately we want to be able to not just work um, and do the typical services of an agency where we're doing contracts or, um, you know, in career support, but that we're also setting our athletes up for post-career support and uh, post-career services where we can continue to develop and have those relationships with, um, with the athletes. And so as we continue to evolve that um, we created uh, what is, in the process of being launched, it's sort of been a brainchild of um, of Andy Chengeloff, my partner, and and myself for quite some time. Where love for the game is what we call L four TG Corp, um, and it's a subdivision of uh, sort of the agency. And it's an athlete lifestyle brand that really helps athletes compete, win, have impact, and create legacy in sport and life. And so it combines and brings together a full ecosystem, or as we call it, a maker space. Um, for athletes that provides total athlete management pre and post career um, where the athlete can manage the, uh, the, uh, their whole career, their whole um, business within that ecosystem. And there is a full um, highly customized um, performance and sports science testing um, component that goes with that, that feeds the data. Um, so it's it's been a fairly significant undertaking, but something that we're really, really excited about um, where, you know, we think L4TG has the opportunity to redefine the game and athletes within the game. Uh, it's, it's exciting as we continue to evolve, which brings me to my next question. Uh, I guess what is the role, um, what is your role in the hockey player's life and how has that changed um, maybe over the years since since you first started? Yeah, I, I think um, the traditional scope and focus of, of an agency and or agent or advisor, you know, has always been to, to ensure that you do the, the typical services where, um, you know, you're providing some guidance, direction, helping in the decision-making process, you're providing um, uh information and recommendations back that you know allow the athlete and and the family to make um, informed decisions um, and then you're negotiating the contracts uh, for the players whether they are ultimately at uh, you know at the highest level where you get to the NHL or if you're playing over in Europe we've got a number of guys there um, it, uh, it provides that guidance my philosophy ultimately um, was has been a little bit different in that the the base standard of services, I think that the athletes have evolved so significantly over the last you know ten five heck over the last three years even that 
you can't just provide standardized service anymore. You gotta you gotta ensure that there is a more of a holistic approach to the way you work with your athletes and what they can come to you on. Um, and so it's interesting when you ask that question because um, recently I was having a conversation with somebody and all along I, I uh, referred when someone asked what I did or whatever, I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm a, a, an agent or I work with um, you know, high, highly elite amateur athletes and professional athletes. But someone recently asked me that and just out of re, you know, pure response, I said, I'm a mentor to young men. Um, and I don't even really know where, why I responded to that, that way, but the more I thought about it, that's really what we're trying to do. We, we try to take care of some of the business stuff, but at the end of the day, we want to mentor these young men so that they don't just become great hockey players, uh, you know, as is the instance in this, uh, in this environment, but they become great young men off the ice, character guys off the ice. Um, that they become leaders off the ice. So, uh, you know, if I was to simplify it, um, and if I was to say what's closest to my heart, um, that's where I would go is that, uh, you know, what we do is we act as, um, as mentors, both in sport and in life for our athletes. Well, like the representation business um, has grown and changed uh, with the growth of independent hockey, the game has grown and changed. Uh, have you seen, um, uh, and I don't know when it kind of would have started, but more and more clients and, and players coming in from that independent hockey stream over the last five, ten years? Oh, yeah, significantly. Um, you know, especially here in Alberta, um, even more so than many of the, you know, some of the other provinces. And it really transitioned, um, you know, with the introduction of the sport academies, uh, you know, the CSSHL. And that would have been, you know, the 2012, 13-ish, somewhere around there. Because prior to that, it was all club hockey. Um, and then it, the transition became, and you even saw it from the scouting side, you know, like we spent evenings upon evenings upon evenings, you know, going to rinks late at night to watch you know, minor hockey games, etc. And then all of a sudden you started not going to almost any minor hockey games and you're doing all CSSHL. And then that now has continued to evolve, obviously, with the introduction of the JPHL. Um, you know, the, the HSL was there um, uh, you know, prior to that, but you know, with the launch of the JPHL last year, now there's just another stream into the mix. And I think it's similar to the way technology works and everything else, as much change as we've seen in the game, over the last five plus years, I think the next three years, um, you're going to see sort of, I believe, somewhat of a seismic shift that's taking place that that's going to sort of reconfigure the industry a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of positives to it. Um, there's a lot of things that I'm excited about. There are some scary elements to it. Um, and it's a balancing act. And so, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see how it, how it plays out. But the one thing I, I really like about the JPHL um, 
you know, certainly the, the competitiveness of that is growing, the, um, the accessibility and regionalization of it is growing. Um, but the price point is so much more competitive than, you know, what you're getting at, uh, at some of the, you know, the CSSHL side. So that's where it's sort of playing itself out, and, and we'll have to see how it, how it shapes up. Yeah, and you know, from your vantage point, watching it, you just talked about the competitiveness. What are the players telling you about it? Well, <laughs> there's two two pieces to that, Dean. One is, you know, the competitiveness of it, and um, you know, style of play, etc. And I think that at the top end, and you're going to see this, and we can talk about some of those players, but at the top end. Though there are some highly, highly skilled players um, that exist within the JPHL. The challenge is, is not necessarily on the on that competitiveness side, but on the emotional side of the business um, for families. Right? They um, going to an unsanctioned league. Um, automatically eliminates some opportunities during some key times. And there's so much emphasis, right or wrong, and I would lean towards wrong, but there's so much emphasis that is placed on, you know, the WHL um, U15 draft and um, the Alberta Cup and, you know, those milestone markers that missing those markers or not having access to those markers is literally creates angst in in a lot of families and so they end up um they end up leaving uh to go into sort of what we would i guess define as mainstream hockey i think that is sorting itself out i'm hoping it's going to sort itself out i think it needs to sort itself out um i think there's just a little bit too much territorial um, uh, you know, protection happening, and we got to look at what is best for the for the game and for the kids. Most importantly, that are playing the game, and I I think you know there is some tremendous opportunity in the JPHL. Like, you know, a good example. Um, we were just talking about this on the weekend. Um, you know, Antonio Margarana, who you know probably didn't get drafted as high, not probably. He didn't. didn't get drafted anywhere near as high as he should have been drafted. Um, but, you know, our plan all along was to have him there as a 16-year-old, but no one really knew about him because he played in the JPHL, and nobody gave him the creed or, or, or credit that he deserved because he played in the JPHL. But here's a player that comes straight out of the JPHL, uh, finished the year last year once the JPHL season was over, went up to Seattle, so still was able to go up to Seattle as a 15, 16-year-old, mm-hmm. steps into the, the lineup, um, you know, was one of the top scorer in preseason um, uh, during the uh, um, training camp, and is off to an unbelievable start um, in, in Seattle. And now is you know very much in the mix for team canada uh, ivan olinka uh those opportunities and so there's an example of a player who stayed the course um just bought into the process 
and all those opportunities that they thought they might not have are opening up and opening up fast and um and significant and a lot of that is due to the development he received along the way here at the jphl and it's so funny people are going to be saying how did this guy slip it's because seattle uh, the secret is out. Uh, you know, Manny, I think the rest of the teams are like, okay, we messed up on some of these guys, uh, you know, and, and some of them slipping through in Seattle having uh, the the best knowledge. And we're looking at Martirani here in the JPHL. He He's going to be in contention for Rookie of the Year, and people are going to be like, how did this guy get drafted um, as far as back as he did? And, you know, the thing that I love is is getting to know Antonio, and he was on our show Earlier this year, uh, getting to know Ty Riley, uh, another guy that uh, Seattle has uh, scooped up from the JPHL, but also getting to know their families. And, you know, having known their families as little as I do, I can only imagine working with these players and their families for you um, has to be very easy because uh, they seem like terrific, wonderful people uh, that have raised great young men. I could not agree with you more, Dean. Um, As we look at some Ty Riley footage now, I'll I'll just mention to people, this is Riley from HC Edmonton. And Ty just signed again with Seattle, uh, so he is actually officially a Thunderbird now as well. Um, So people are going to wonder, how the heck did Seattle rebuild so fast? Well, you're going to take a look at some of the guys that they've got coming up that have come out of the JPHL. You're going to look at, you know, Popple. You're going to look at Lucas Asher. You're going to look at, um, you know, name it. And these guys um, are going to be powerhouses in the league um, and beyond. And uh, they're all JPHL guys. Um, So, you know, I think, but going back to your point, Dean, in terms of the families, to me, that's one of the reasons that um, we've sort of, you know, bought into um, the the JPHL concept. The families are outstanding. Uh, they're just top shelf. And that's one thing that's so important for us. You know, the first question I ask when any of our team brings a prospect to the table, you know, first most important question to me is, are they a link family? Um, and if you look at the Martiranas, you look at um, Riley's, um, you know, you look at... Um, you know, name it and go down the list. Um, these are just phenomenally grounded families. And, you know, one of the things, and actually I was just talking to um, Antonio's dad last uh, last night. And one of the things I said to him is, is <clears throat> excuse me, as, as good of a season as he's having, which is, he's having an outstanding season, I'm actually more proud of him on how grounded he is and how humble he stays. And, you know, first and foremost, it's always team. And like, he's just such a grounded um, young man. And, and that goes, uh, you know, to a lot, large extent, you know, to his upbringing with, um, with uh, Angelo and, and Tanya and, and his twin sister, like it's, they're just great, great families. Yeah, I I could not uh, agree more, and I love uh, as we look at Antonio's first WHL goal. I mean, this is a pretty nice WHL goal. A lot of people <laughs> get to tell a story, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I went top shelf on a breakaway." He actually did top shelf breakaway, so 
Uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, the only um, one that might that might be better than that is Benson's and uh, yeah. Buffalo the other night. That was a pretty nice first goal. Uh, as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And some uh, pretty elite company with some of these guys. I remember Jordan Everly's first goal in Edmonton when he looked off the captain, Sean Orkoff, and yeah. uh, took it in. Um, it's also been fun watching these guys and the WHL from afar in general. We've been so busy that I haven't actually been able to get out uh, to watch a game. But looking at the standings, 11 teams in the overall picture when you combine both conferences within six points of each other. I mean, it is a really close race. You've got teams uh, like Prince George that have not been up there in a long time, and it's really exciting, I'm sure, for that community. And for you guys watching it with Link Management, uh, the overager year this year, man, is it busy for you. And, and that will just get busier and busier as these players, as you know, the 20-year-olds start signing contracts as free agents. Much different than when you're representing a player who gets drafted. What is this like for you guys having this many overagers in the WHL this year? Yeah, it's, it, uh, it sets itself up for a busy year. Uh, it's our biggest overage class that we've had in the dub um, with eight players, um, you know, and at least half of them have all been, you know, to multiple NHL camps. And so they're in the mix. Um, so, there's really a separation or a divide that we focus on in terms of one stream we um, zero in on the pro side and push the pro opportunities um, but one of the things that we do with our our guys that enter their overage year is we we establish threshold markers um, and what i mean by that is depending upon where um, or what type of offer that might come in on to play pro we always ask them, if this, does this trump school? Okay, if, if it is, then we'll go down. Okay, if you get this offer, does this offer trump school? Um, and so we know where that threshold or that cutoff is for each one of our guys. And then um, we pursue it on the pro side that way. But then we're also making sure that we have um, a plan B in place for every one of them on the schooling side. And so we have a criteria process that our guys go through where they score, um, you know, the things that are important to them. Because it's not just about the hockey program, but it's about size of school, size of class size, proximity to home. All of those things are important criteria in evaluating a school program. And so when we get our guys to assess that, we now have a good understanding of where their parameters are on the pro side and what the parameters are in terms of finding the right school fit for them as well. And then we try to, by the end of the season, um, have all of, you know, both of those things in place. And we sort of know where they're going by that point. Well, and, and it's such an important situation. Uh, I was just talking uh, with a, a buddy and, and Sean Bell the other day, who obviously is uh, part of the link management family about, you know, how, um, the, the situation has gotten better, but you do need to make decisions. Just like when you're younger, when it comes to independent hockey, when you're a little bit older, when it comes to whether you want to go the junior or the college route, or when you finish, it's not just, okay, I'm playing junior, I'm set. There's always decisions, there's always conversations that need to be had about the next step of your journey, whether that's in hockey. And the thing I love about the JPHL and, and what you guys do is, you know, we're getting ready for the next stage, whether that's hockey, life, school, whatever it is, because we all know 
the small percentage of people that actually make it to the NHL. So preparing kids, and that's what they are, for the next journey through sports is a terrific way as long as, uh, you know, there is important and uh, needed conversations that had to be had. And I think you guys do a great job of that. And and I think, you know, families uh, need to have these conversations constantly. Yeah, it's... And, you know, the, the unique part of that, Dean, is that um, in many cases, you can't plan for when that time comes, when it's going to end. Um, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, you can, you know, ask Sean Bell, for example, that same question. He felt like he could continue to play still when he was over in Europe after his NHL career. But physically, the doctor said no. So, you know, he was 30 years old at that point still young in hockey terms, but we had a situation last summer um, uh, or the summer before, actually, sorry, uh, where a goalie in the WHL and I'll, I'll give you his name. Chase Coward was with Red Deer and uh, Cowie had a great finish to the end of the season. Um, you know, had a great playoff run um, and uh, was invited to the world juniors camp in July to be part of uh, the World Juniors uh, selection camp. But he, at the end of the season, he had uh, some nag- nagging pain that just wasn't going away. And so we brought him into Edmonton to meet with our doctor. And the doctor says, geez, you know, it's, there, is some, there is some contusion issues on the back, but we're actually more concerned about his hips. And so we, uh, they asked, they said, we want to get it imaged. And so they had preliminary imaging done. I left for the draft in uh, that day and um, Cowie got invited to Buffalo's uh, NHL camp. Well, he went to Buffalo's camp and didn't clear medicals. And so as soon as he came back, we were in discussions with Brent Sutter and Red Deer. We had him imaged, uh, MRIs done. And coming out of that MRI, you know, when a kid three, four weeks ago was on the top of the world, um, the news was that he actually had a genetic disorder that he had since birth that nobody knew was hip dysplasia. Um, and the initial feedback was it's inoperable. And wow. so you, you go to that and you, and all of a sudden, you know, you're thinking about team Canada and the next minute you're thinking about my career is over. It's done now, luckily, and it's a great story. Um, uh, we got some second opinions and there was a, a medical team that felt that they could operate and get him back. Um, and so he did have two surgeries last year, one in October, one in December, and he made it back with Red Deer in time for the playoffs. Um, so it's a great story, but we say that as a reminder, you just don't know when it's going to end. Um, you know, you think I'm going to play till I'm 30 or 35. Well, Chase was 19. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like I didn't even start my career yet when I was nineteen, and this is a young man who just thought his dreams had been dashed. So it's a very you know it's a microcosm of life, Manny. It it really is. Yeah. Is uh, you know enjoy every moment that you're on the ice, enjoy every moment that you're above ground and at the rink and and whatever it is because 
as we know, it all does uh, come short, whether it's life uh, or the end of a career, unless you are Yarmer Yager, as you mentioned, who might beat Father Time, <laughs> might be the only guy that could beat Father Time. We'll have to wait and see, and uh, we'll get a pay-per-view for that one. Maybe we'll get it on Silent Ice TV. We'll have to see. Yeah, there we uh, go. <laughs> That's good. Thanks so much uh, for joining me. Uh, You guys have done terrific stuff uh, at Link Management, and it's always a pleasure to see you at the rink, Manny. Thanks so much for being a part of Game Changers. Thank you, Dean, and all the best to you guys, and keep up the great work. You're doing phenomenal work uh, through this venue, but also in the JPHL and beyond, so great job. I always love seeing Manny around the rinks and a very, very nice man in uh, the agency game. All right. No JPHL action this weekend. They get a two-week break before the winter championship right here. It's going to be packed. And boy, do we have some cool stuff lined up for you. December 17th, the final day, the championship day. I'm not going to give it away, but we have some big names lined up for our broadcast. We'll have a Challenge Cup December 10th here, and then the winter championship December 13th to 17th here. Hesco, Morinville Ice Gardens, and Terwilliger Rec Center, as well as the Grant Fuhrer Arena. So we are busy. And one of the guys that'll be in that action is Dustin Cohn. He's a former New York Islander draft pick, great skating defenseman, now the head coach of the Titans Hockey Union U17 team. And I caught up with him earlier for the show. Dustin, thanks very much for joining us here on Game Changers. Um, I guess let's just start with uh, the JPL experience, uh, coaching in this league. What's it like from the coaching point of view for you? Uh, it's been good. Yeah, it's uh, it's been different than than what I'm used to the last couple of years uh, coming from coaching in the HSL uh, with some evening practices and uh, a lot of travel. Uh, this year, it's been nice to have the daytime practices and. Nice to have, um, you know, the arenas fairly close or relatively close and um, more time to kind of personally anyways, to dedicate to uh, to the team compared to what I've had the last couple of years. So it's been it's been really fun. You know, I had a, a guy out in Langley say to me about this league and, and being involved from a coaching aspect. He said, this has not only been good, you know, for the kids, it's been good for my family and my relationship with my kids and my wife because it has given him that a little bit of extra time, not only to focus on the team, but also the other part, important, very important part, is family. And I think the structure in this league is one thing that I really enjoy from a broadcast perspective, having my own time uh, in between showcases or evenings and things like that. And and I'm sure you, you feel the same way. Yeah, it's nice to be home in the evening, for sure. I have a small, uh, a small daughter, so uh, that time is always, is always precious. And um, even, even like having the, you know, the rinks be close and the game schedule, uh, line up where a lot of our games are here was a, was a big factor for me in deciding to coach this year. And, um, my family is able to come out and watch games and, um, yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's, um, it's nice to have the evenings. It's nice to be close. Uh, not a lot of travel, at least for us Edmonton based teams. So that's a positive in my mind for sure. Yeah, and uh, when the teams do travel, they're traveling to one location. You're there for the whole weekend. Uh, it's it the the structure of it is great. It's a central location, uh, so you know you don't have five teams all over it at different places. What was the? 
I guess the transition like for you, you went from playing uh, and then into coaching and then eventually uh, now as the, the U17 coach for the Titans Hockey Union. But how did you make that transition from playing and into coaching? Yeah, my first couple of years out of playing, uh, I actually lived in Saskatoon and worked for the Blades there um, on the business side of their organization and had a little bit of involvement in their hockey operation, but not not a ton. Um, I my last two years of, of playing, I did an MBA at the University of Sheffield. Um, and so it was kind of a bit of a natural fit to go into Saskatoon and, and learn about the business side of the game. And at one point I thought that I might want to pursue that or, or pursue management. Um, so I thought that that would be a good opportunity, but ultimately kind of just missed, missed being at home. Um, my family's from Edmonton, my wife's family's from Edmonton. Um, missed being at home, wanted to come back to Edmonton. So after those two years of being in Saskatoon, I uh, moved back home to Edmonton, uh, partnered in a business with a longtime friend, a guy named Sean Connaughton, who I played hockey with uh, as a kid. Uh, we did skills together for almost six years uh, before we kind of went our separate ways commercially. Uh, still a good friend of mine and actually does our skills for, for our U17 and U18 uh, teams. Um, but for me, I just kind of felt like I didn't really love doing skills, uh, solely. I, I liked it as part of, a, a deeper relationship with the players, which I think you get in bench coaching. Um, I also kind of started to gravitate towards, uh, an interest in sports psychology and, 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 you know, going back to school to study, uh, not just coaching, but sports psych and athlete development so um i'm currently doing that at the u of a and, and almost finished it and um being in a spot where i where i have some flexibility throughout my week and throughout my days uh it lined up well to end up uh, coaching uh, with the titans uh, and that's a, a terrific path, and all of that gives you more knowledge and more tools uh, when you're working with the players uh, on the bench, or you know if you if you eventually kind of do get into management. And I think that um, is is a great way to segue into the next part of vote. Uh, I want to talk about you know what is the the role of the coach, both developing themselves and developing the teams, because, you know, we all want to get to the next level, whether a player, a broadcaster or a coach, but we're also part of a team. And if you're a coach, you're responsible for the development. So how do you, you know, what do you think that coach's role and, and the, 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 I guess the point of view should be, and, and is it different for most guys or is it, should it be similar for every coach? I think that every coach is going to have kind of their own beliefs and their own ways of applying what they believe. But I think there are for sure some generalities that you could apply across a a more uh, broad spectrum where I would think that it's really important that as a coach, you, you want to learn, um, you're open-minded, you want to get better, you work hard, uh, you obviously care about the players and, and that's why you're doing it um it kind of goes hand in hand the two in terms of like player development and, and putting the players first but then coach development i think that uh part of putting the players first is is looking to learn and trying to trying to learn from others who have who have done it or who are doing it and bounce ideas off of um people that you know 
in various capacities uh, in various roles in the game. Um, and, and whether you're studying it formally or informally, I just think that open-mindedness and, and wanting to learn and, and being receptive to uh, getting better is really important for a coach because it will allow you to apply those uh, skills and those different perspectives and uh, different kind of thought process that you might be learning or picking up on and or practices from other coaches, you can apply those to, to what you're doing with your players. Yeah. And it, it's so interesting. We talk a lot about with players is, is getting them to buy into that. If you play a well-rounded game and you do all the things right, you know, the scouts are going to notice you and they're not just looking at the stats. And if you play good defensively, it's going to create more offense. And the same can be said as, as you kind of alluded to with a coach, if you're doing the job well, and developing players, people are going to take notice as opposed to just racking up the wins all the time. Sure, the wins are, are great, and that's a kind of a secondary thing, but if you do the things well with the players, those wins should come. It's almost like playing well defensively creates offense, and sometimes it's hard for some coaches to get that, oh, i got to get this many wins to get noticed mindset out of their heads. Yeah, I think it's, like you said, it's it's playing defensively, but it's also buying into a process and a and a system of values and um like i'm a young coach i'm still learning that it's it's tough to tough to know uh exactly how you want to play or how or how you want to handle certain situations but i think it's important to know what you believe and know what your process is and and be able to put faith in that process and um kind of stick to what you believe in and and again like not worry about the outcomes i think that if you can, if you can kind of focus on um, how you want to play, uh, focus on how you can help each player as an individual, uh, how you can build a relationship with each person as an individual, uh, because everybody's different and unique and needs to be coached different. If you can do that within uh, an overall system of accountability and, and team identity and team values, um, I think that's kind of a good way to go about it. I'm sure you, you've had a lot of great coaches and probably some not so great coaches, but who are some of the good coaches that you really enjoyed? And I don't know if you ever thought about it at the time, but now as you think back, you're thinking, oh, if that's something that I take from this guy or this guy or this guy. Uh, some Maybe some of the coaches that influenced you uh, that, that help you today. Yeah, there's a few guys that come to mind for sure. Like through my playing career, like an early influence of mine was Billy Morris, uh, mm-hmm. who was a, legendary coach at the U of A and he's had a massive impact on a whole kind of uh, group of coaches who have coached at various pro levels and um, junior levels. And he was always just so detail oriented and so um, what I would, what I would describe as focused and dialed in on the ice as a coach, but he also at the same time really let you know that he cared about you as a player. Um, and as a person, he was very respectful and he would always explain why you were doing something, uh, why it was important. He'd expect you to do it with pace, um, but there was always an intention and there was always a, a very human element to him. Um, so I feel very fortunate to have been exposed to him as a young as a young kid and, and exposed to the coaches that he was influencing at that time as well in, in, his, in his career. Um, he had a big hand in, in helping that dawn in the, the first hockey school in Edmonton get off the ground. Uh, and I was fortunate to be able to go there and, and learn from a lot of coaches that were learning from Billy. So that was, you know, probably the first early 
experience I had with like a really high end coach. Um, at the junior level, I was, I was very fortunate to play for some good coaches as well. Uh, my draft year when I was 17 in Calgary with the Hitmen, uh, our D coach was Dean Evison and he really helped me. And again, uh, very competitive guy. Um, but also let you know, he cared about you as a human being and would always explain why he expected certain things of you as a player. And the thing I liked about him was his intensity and his ability to um, balance like the need for you for balance, uh, you know, the need, the intensity that he had and, and helping you understand the need to play intense and to compete with also being intentional. Um, so he was a great coach. And then now kind of, you know, a little bit older, um, and, and in my, in, in my current role, I've been fortunate to bounce some ideas off of guys like Jeremy Carlton, who's a good friend of mine that I played with in the American league for three or four years. And he's had some success, obviously coaching great communicator, uh, very transparent coach, very open-minded, very kind of like progressive and, and new school, but also understands the importance of tradition and, uh, respects the tradition of, of the game and of kind of some of the more old school ways of doing things. And then another guy that I, that I think is a great coach in terms of the way he prepares and his attention to detail. And, uh, I've been fortunate to learn from, from him is Brennan Sawney, who was the, uh, Western league coach of the year in Saskatoon last year. And he's very dialed in with his preparation, his analytics, his, uh, um, you know, language he, he speaks to the team with, um, identity, culture, values, um, and then just details with their habits and, and how they play uh, according to those habits. Yeah, we've been chasing Sonny on this show to try to get him on for the last couple of weeks, but the schedules haven't matched up because a terrific start uh, for Saskatoon, uh, second place in the conference. And, and you know, when I echo what you say about Billy Moores. I mean, Respect is the first thing I think about with that man because he treated us with such respect and kindness. And if you ever had a question after about something, uh, he would never make you feel stupid for for asking a question. He would answer it in such a kind way. And and Dean Evison, um, you know, I I knew his late brother Heavy. Was, that was his nickname. He coached my uh, older brother in hockey, and just a terrific family uh, from Manitoba. So awesome influences to have. And I think that's what that's what successful people do is they take. Uh, the good, they weed out the bad. Uh, they don't get mired in the muck and they uh, kind of move forward. Um, now I want to ask you about the the conundrum that maybe some coaches get into or even some players. You want to uh, emphasize skill development and we want our players to be skilled and we don't, don't, don't want them to be robots, but we have to play as a team. Can that be confusing for young players when they think, hey, I got to learn this individual skill, but I can't play as an individual because we're not going to have team success. Is there a, a balance there that, that coaches have to learn? Yeah, it's tough. I think it's, it's always going to be subjective or for the most part, it's subjective in terms of like trying to decipher uh, as a coach, the player's intention with the particular play. Sometimes it's very obvious, you know, if they take a selfish penalty or if they, you know, make a, the same kind of selfish mistake in terms of a hockey play uh trying to you know make a low percentage play through somebody's feet in a neutral zone two or three shifts in a row like those are obvious but a lot of times it's not so obvious and so it's it's i think important to try to try to put yourself in the player's shoes and think about what their intentions are and 
Like I want all of our players and all the players that I coach to play with, play with the freedom of not being afraid to make mistakes. Um, as long as they're willing to, as long as they're willing to work hard and be good teammates and they don't make those mistakes, uh, they don't make attitude mistakes. They don't make respect mistakes. Um, if they do do those things, um, I want them to have a lot of freedom as players. And I think, I think the other part of it too, is just like, this notion of like skill and like what skill is. And I think a lot of times people just think of skill as toe drag or a shot or a one timer yeah. or, you know, physical skill. And, and that's obviously part of it, but there's like application of that skill, which takes understanding of the game and, and game sense. Um, and then, and then on top of that, there's, there's a whole set of other skills that I would argue are more important than physical skills. So mental skills, uh, character habits, um, you know, consistency of your compete habits, uh, consistency of, uh, you know, being a good teammate, like those to me are also skills, they might be soft skills, and they're maybe not as obvious or, or easy to measure. But those are skills that, in my opinion, are more likely to prevent players from playing junior hockey than physical skills, because the reality is now that all these kids are on the ice so much, they're practicing so much. There's no shortage of ice time opportunity coaching. Um, so in my opinion, it's also kind of like defining like what skills are, are important to uh, progress to the higher levels of hockey. And so, um, yeah, it's a good question. It's something that, that I am always thinking about as a coach and, you know, you want players to be creative and you want players to have fun out there. And there'd probably be some trains of thought out there where, where, um, there's too much of a North South game in Canada. And I, and I would tend to agree with that in minor hockey from what I've seen over my years coaching, which, which has been about four or five years being involved coaching minor hockey is um, I think some coaches, uh, whether they intend to or not, they just get really caught up in trying to win games and uh, you know, everything gets moved North and only your top four or five players play. And in my opinion, um, that's, that's not, the right way to bring everybody along. Um, so in terms of your question, yeah, it's, it's a tough one, but I think it's like application of skill. Um, of course, you're always working on it and you're going to develop it in practice and skill development practice, but it's application of skill. And then it's um, understanding, uh, you know, when and where to use certain skills, but then it's a whole different set of other skills that are also really important for players playing hockey at a high level or doing anything at life in life at a high level. Uh, it's such a great point though, about uh, it's not just toe drags and, you know, uh, high end dangles. I mean, blocking shots is a skill that if you don't do it properly, your goalie's going to get mad. Your coach is going to get mad if you don't do it at all. I mean, there are so many different things that first pass uh, out of the zone. Maybe it's not the sexy toe drag one timer, but it is, there's so many skills and, and people get caught up in, uh, the fancy plays because you know we show that and, and listen we're we're a broadcast company we want to show uh, the highlights for sure but you know we've really tried to celebrate some of the uh, the unsung heroes in the game you know a guy gets out and blocks a shot the bench erupts just as loud as when you score a goal and those are the plays that sometimes obviously goals win you games but so do those plays sometimes yeah and i think it's really important to kind of incorporate those plays into uh really specific actions within your team identity and and uh within your you know team values and how you want to play and what you value and um 
you know, again, for me, it's like thinking about one, the experience of the players this season and then their long-term development. And um, I really think that those are the types of things that they need to work on their forecheck habits, their back checking habits, their, uh, like you said, willingness to block shots, willingness to make team first plays, um, you know, those to me are, are also skills. And um, like you said, though, it's important to also understand like where the players are coming from. Like it's not just, not just you said the JPHL in terms of the, the social media presence, it's the NHL, it's TSN. Um, players are watching highlights of all of the goals. Um, I always ask the players to watch an entire hockey game and, and, and watch a certain player and, and don't just watch the highlights. Look at, some of the nuance in the way that, you know, uh, a really good 200 foot player plays the game. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's always fun to, to, you know, look at the nice highlight real goals and, and, uh, it's fun to practice that stuff too. So you have to, you have to kind of think about the influences and the social and environmental factors that are influencing the kids beliefs and, and why they care about those things. And, um, rather than trying to tell them those things aren't important, maybe try to insert some things into their day-to-day that are, that are also going to allow them to value and believe in the importance of the other skills that are, that are equally important. Yeah, that's a, a really good way of putting it. But uh, the overall level of play in the JPHL, um, from, from your U17 division to the others, uh, what, what's been your impression? You came from the HSL, so you probably know some of, the, of these guys, but what, what's your thoughts so far of these, the overall play, not just the skill, uh, the, the overall play of the players? Um, yeah, I'd say it, I, don't, I can't comment much on the two younger divisions because I don't, I don't know those age categories um, well. Uh, but in terms of the U17 and the U18, I think that there's uh, a lot of a lot of depth in our division, the U17 division. Um, like we're getting really good games from most teams in the league, and it's a second year of the of the league, so you can't expect that it's going to have the depth of, of 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 a league that's been around for 20 or 30 years. Uh, and when you consider that there's now three options uh, really for for players to play and. Uh, you can't expect it to have uh, incredible depth, and and the other leagues don't don't either. So, um, I've been impressed with with the depth of the U17 division. Um, I've been impressed with the with the skill of of the players on our team. Um, I think that our you know I can speak to our team better than than you know the rest of the teams around the league and and even the U18 division, but. I think that with our team, there's there's um, a lot of skill and a lot of kids who have good intentions and who who want to do the right things, and um, they're trying to find their way. They're young kids. They they um, you know you couldn't expect them to to know and and be know how to and and to be complete hockey players at their age. And, and so, uh, as a coach, trying to like we've talked about help them round out their game in, in other areas that are not just skill focused, but in terms of the league, I, I think that we've been getting really competitive games. And so that's, you know, allows us to, to, uh, to harp on habits and the importance of habits and the importance of playing the right way, because um, it's, what you don't want is, is the games where, where they're eight, one games, because then it, it, it is, there's a little bit extra room out there and it's tough to get guys to, to play the right way and it's tough to get guys to move pucks quickly and 
tough to get them to finish all their hits and to block shots when you're when you're winning by six or seven goals. Um, so those tight games are nice. Yeah, and and they, you're right. They've started to to really tighten up. Last year, I noticed it after the Christmas break. This year, I'm noticing it even before. And before we get to Christmas, we have the Winter Championship, and uh, the U17 division is is brand new. So uh, you wouldn't have seen this uh, last year as and, unless you're a spectator because it's so cool in the big picture home ice advantage in the playoffs and that's away in March in the small picture it's a really cool mid-season tournament but you know you have a bad spell you get knocked out so focus has to be you know laser tight to this weekend and you know consistency I think is the thing that every coach I talk to in the JPHL especially early in the season you're looking for that consistency good test in the uh, winter championship for that consistency isn't it yeah, I think it'll be it'll be really fun and um, like it's Christmas time, you know, approaching. So everybody's excited and there's good energy around. And I think it's a really fun time to have to have a tournament. Like I remember kind of those tournaments as a kid uh, around Christmas time, minor hockey week, I think is just after that um, back in the day as, as a kid was always fun. So I think it, I think that will be really fun for them um, in terms of the, the tournament kind of format and structure. Yeah, it's a small sample size. And again, like I think it's it's, you know, really important to, to just believe in your process and, and hopefully you'll get uh, rewarded for, for doing things the right way. And sometimes, you know, it, it can you can get unlucky if it's a one game knockout type of situation compared to a seven game series or even a five game series. But um I think it's a good it's a good test for for our team and our group to just try to stay focused on the way we want to play um and ultimately I think we'll have success if we're able to play our entire roster and we'll be able to play our entire roster if we have guys buying into being good teammates playing team first hockey and I think that will be uh you know that will determine how much success we'll have is how much of our roster we can, we can roll because we do have a, a, you know, a deep team in my opinion, where, where we're at an advantage if we can play four lines and play 60 uh, throughout the entirety of a, of a 60 minute game. Um, you played in the, uh, the Western hockey league. Uh, you're also involved with the, the blades. Uh, how much has that league changed uh, since your playing days or has it, is it, is it fairly similar? Do you think? I think it's always evolving. And I think like, I remember, um, I remember when I was playing in the league and all the older guys would say, Oh, it's so different. And it's so it's changed so much. And, and I believe it, it. Yeah. It's always evolving and changing. I think it's more skilled than ever. It's definitely a little bit smaller than it, than it was 20, however many, 20 years ago when I played, uh, tw- yeah. And so I think that players in general are just more skilled and they're faster and, the game happens quicker. So there, um, there's that. And, uh, yeah, there's a premium on skill and there's a premium on moving, moving the puck and being able to make good decisions. And so I think that that's kind of maybe why you see a little bit smaller players as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would guess that over time you'll see the league get bigger again, as all the big guys become just as skilled as the little guys. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely, it's definitely changed. Um, still i think a great a great league and um the school opportunities that players have in the western league um and then in my opinion like the real kind of uh i guess the really awesome thing about the western league is the level of coaching you're going to get in that league Mm -hmm. is is really really high end and 
a lot of guys that are that are going to you know coach at the American League level and the NHL level uh, there right now. The hockey path uh, has changed quite a bit. You mentioned there's more options. When I was growing up in the 80s, there was minor hockey in Notre Dame, and, and now we have way more than that, obviously. A um, lot of choices for, for players and families. It means conversations have to happen, and, and you have to be aware of your choices. How do you view the, the hockey landscape now as it's changing? Independent hockey is growing a little bit more and, and kind of blending in, in with the rest of the scene? Yeah, you know, I think there's, like you said, there's a lot of different options now. Um, I, I wouldn't personally say one is better than the other. In my mm. opinion, like if I was a if I was a parent looking at a, a looking at a program or options for my kid, it would it would largely be focused on uh, who is coaching the team, uh, which coaches are around the team, what do they believe, how are they going to practice every day, what messaging is going to be going into the kids' heads when they're at the rink. Um, so. Yeah, you could you could have that uh, in theory in any of the three leagues that are that are going on right now. Um, definitely very different than when we played, where you had one option. You just go <laughs> and you you try out, and you either make the team or you don't, and you don't have any say about who your coach is. And so there's there's pros and cons to it, to, to it. I think um, I think like you know not making a team and and getting cut from a team. Uh, like we would have experienced back in the day it can be good a little bit of adversity can be good and maybe that's one of the downsides of of academy or, or jphl hockey but then on the positive side there's a lot of um you know there's a lot of intention and a lot of focus placed on providing the best experience for the players in the jphl and there's a lot of thought and a lot of energy and resources going into how to provide a great experience and how to think about their long-term development. Um, and so I think, I think that, yeah, I think it's a really kind of a, um, a great option. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and options is, is what people want. I, I think you nailed it though. It's different for everybody. And, you know, I've talked to Craig Button about this uh, hundreds of times about when you're choosing uh, your next path after that. And, and the Kachucks are a great example. One went one way, the other went another way, and it's all down to the individual. I think coaching uh, plays the, a big, massive role because who is going to be developing um, your child? And also, you know, the, the places that we're playing in are much different um, than they used to be. I literally, you, you played in Brandon. There used to be a building called The Barn that was right beside the Keystone Center. That's where I played growing up tournaments. It was housing cattle when they didn't have ice in it. And uh, so arena upgrades have uh, certainly increased. Um, you know, what's it like to be at the Morinville Ice Gardens for you guys? The HC Edmonton is at the Silent Ice Center. You get to play a lot of games. So, you know, just within this league, um, the, the arenas, particularly in Edmonton, pretty top notch and nice to have your own home. Yeah, they're both unbelievable. I mean, obviously the rink in Nisku is another level for uh, minor hockey experience for players and families. Um, yeah, that that rink is just another. It's it's another level. It's awesome. It's it's amazing. Um, the rink in Morinville is also great. Uh, we practice there every day. The kids have their own dressing rooms where they can leave their equipment. Um, you know, hang out. Uh, again, like just really uh quite awesome when you think of, sit back and think about it from a big picture perspective and think about the things you're grateful for it's pretty nice to to have some of those amenities and some of those 
um, opportunities and, and uh, things, you know, provided by the league for, for these players. Yeah, I get jealous uh, when I see. So you know, I was a goalie, so seeing the goalie kits and the gear, and uh, man, uh, they they do get treated well, and and I find uh, very respectful on the receiving end. I come down and deal with the players, and uh, they're all very respectful, even though they're preparing for the games. And so it's it goes both ways. They get a lot, and they they do uh, give a lot of uh, respect as well. And in your career, you probably played in some unique arenas. Do you remember some some uh, unique ones? I, I imagine you played in the Crush Camp at one point yeah and moose jaw yeah i played there remember being absolutely terrified to play there when i was 16 they had a massive massive team and a good team and like go out there and like i was probably like when i was 16 i was probably six six feet tall only um 165 pounds so yeah like i just remember trying to move the puck quick and not get not get hurt really um that was that was an intimidating rink to play in for sure and a lot of fun um yeah let me think about a couple other ones that come to mind um there was a rink i played in the czech republic towards the end of my career that was like an old old war hangar in litvinov i think it was in litvinov wow. it was kind of like con- converted to a um to an arena and like they had really rusted old ceilings and stuff and it was a really fun atmosphere that was that was memorable um obviously msg was is a cool cool rink just because of what surrounds it and where it is and the history there and you start to think about um those things it's it's pretty cool um yeah and then like you know i'd I'd also say playing in in calgary my first few years in the western league before i got traded to brandon that was really wasn't so much the rink um you know, in Calgary, the Saddle Dome, it was the fact that we got to watch the NHL teams practice every day. Um, so that was pretty cool, being uh, being able to go and watch NHL teams practice every day, whether it was the Flames or the visiting team, and, you know, have the odd conversation with guys and get to kind of watch certain things. And I remember coaches that I had uh, telling me, you know, go watch this player in practice or go watch this player in the game tonight and things like that. So, um, yeah lots of lots of really cool rinks and really fortunate to get to play in a variety of variety of cool buildings over the years yeah that's uh that's something that's kind of understated when you play in an nhl arena uh you get to watch and soak it all in so i remember seeing the oil kings all the time when we would be down for oiler morning skates they'd be all there soaking it all in so good stuff dustin thanks so much uh, for joining me uh it's been a pleasure getting to know you in the jphl keep rolling with the titans and we'll uh, chat with you at the winter championship thanks dean thanks for having me on see you later and that will wrap things up for us at the silent ice center gorgeous facility great evening sherwood park and spruce grove battling and uh, spruce grove just coming up one goal short i'd like to thank manny schmidt from link management for joining me on the program as well as dustin Cohn, head coach of the titans u17 team you can catch Uh, past episodes of Game Changers right here on Silent Ice TV, the home of the JPHL and the Hockey Super League. Thanks very much for joining me on the show. We'll chat again next week. I'll see you in the rink, and it's always a great time to double pad stack.